Hello. Hello. Hey. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for participating. Of course. <laughs> My pleasure. Awesome. Okay. So we'll get going. So this is the second episode of the Calm Every Storm podcast and where we try to help each listener improve their ability to de-escalate, mitigate, and resolve crisis. So whether it's professional life, personal life, our goal is to teach you how to calm every storm. And so we do this by inviting on fantastic individuals who have experience dealing with challenging situations and encounters from all walks of life. So not just professional de-escalators or mediators or counselors, but people who are willing to share a few thoughts with us on how they learn to navigate difficult spots without violence. So that brings me to today's guest, which I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Jennifer Walker, who has not only, and let me, let me rewind, Dr. Jennifer Walker, who has not only been a personal friend of mine for many years, but a resource for us here at CCG and an educator with tons of experience dealing with special education, special needs students, as well as training and teaching other ed educators how to effectively manage classrooms for many, many years. So welcome, Dr. Walker. Thank you very much. <laughs> so let me start with, uh, well, actually, let me let you start with telling us a bit about you, your background, and kind of what's been your passion and what you're doing now so both students know who you are. Okay. So I've been in the field of special education for a little over 20 years now. doesn't seem possible, but it's true. Um, during that time, I've held several positions. I was a special education teacher for uh, many years. I taught elementary school and middle school, and I taught at an alternative um, setting where a lot of our students were from um, neighborhoods that maybe weren't exactly the best neighborhoods to grow up in. Um, those students had a, a number of challenges. Um, and then after teaching in the classroom for a number of years, I was hired as a behavior specialist for a um, local school district. So during that time, I would go in and work with teachers, administrators, parents, support staff to come up with behavior plans for students in their rooms. And then finally, um, I moved into the position where I am now, where I am an assistant professor of special education, and I'm at a small liberal arts university. Um, and I continue to really focus my research and my instruction, my professional development on classroom management. Um, I have a really strong focus on students with emotional behavioral disabilities, um, positive behavior intervention supports, and um, looking at tiered systems. Um, and at my university, I was actually also asked to be on our violence prevention team. Oh. Yeah, and so that team uh, promotes campus safety and preventing violence through threat, threat management. Um, and our job is really just to educate the community about what we're doing for violence preve prevention and also to develop systems so that our faculty and staff and students have a way to report threats or concerns as they arise. Oof. Wow. So, so uh, you know, not only incredibly timely for what just happened down in Parkland, Florida. Yes. Um, huge. Okay. So, it, you know, there's got to be the reason why we had this call today because we right. talked for weeks, but awesome. Well, thank you so much. So basically, so if you picture the listener, right, calm every storm students to the courses, either an educator themselves or a psych tech or a correctional worker or law enforcement, um, you know, someone who's probably familiar with calm every storm curriculum, but obviously always looking to learn new things. So 
I want to go back to when you were a teacher um, and, and really working specifically in the classrooms in those early years. Um, and then I, you, you made me think of another point in regards to working with parents that I want to come back to. But what would you say if you if you could think back or even now, obviously relating, but what are some of even if we were to say what are one or two of the main uh, concepts or ideas that one of the listener, you know, or some, some of the listeners should focus on when potentially dealing with uh, either a special needs student or a student um, with, with the type of disabilities that you're, you're accustomed to? I think that there's a couple of really important components to kind of remember, and some of them may apply to all students, but particularly with students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. I think what's important to remember with students with disabilities is that um, their brains may not be working the same way that we would expect a typical um, child of that age Mm. to think or react. So oftentimes um, we look at a child and we may see them react in such a way that kind of doesn't make sense to us. We would think, well, they should know better. I used to hear that a lot from teachers. They should know better. But the reality is some of our students with disabilities, their brains just they're not making the same connections. They don't see cause and effect. Mm. Um, They don't understand how the actions that they're engaged in now are going to impact um, the consequences that are going to come. The other piece of this is that a lot of these students also don't have the language sometimes to express Mm -hmm. themselves. So what ends up happening is, you know, they start to feel a certain way and they label that feeling as angry. Everything is angry. But in reality, sometimes they're disappointed. Mm. Sometimes they're frustrated. Sometimes they're annoyed, but they don't always have the vocabulary and the means to kind of pinpoint exactly what it is that they're feeling and so therefore it makes it really difficult for the adults who are working with them to then assist them in such a way that de-escalates and so the student feels misunderstood but they're Mm. not giving the language because they can't and so you kind of get into this pattern of behavior where the student's frustrated with the adult for not understanding but the child doesn't have the vocabulary to express themselves Mm. so I think it's really important for adults to remember that um Children may not always have the ability to express their frustration and anger. And so it's our job to teach them those things mm. as part of the de-escalation so that we're not getting to the point where the child is now upset to the point where now we need to have extra supports. Right. Um, do, you, do you think, uh, sorry, let me interrupt ahead. one second. Do you yeah. think, so when, and this might be a uh, kind of basic question here, but if the child is obviously they're feeling a certain way, but they don't have the vocabulary to express that the emotion is not, let's say the anger, but is it very common that it's presenting itself as anger? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, when we think about children who are acting out, um, a lot of that comes out as aggression. It Mm. comes out as yelling, screaming, um, you know, throwing things. Mm-hmm. And that's all just because here's this built up of feelings that I can't control. So now let me express it. And it does look like anger. Okay. Um, but I think that we can all agree that we've maybe expressed ourselves in a such a way that looks like anger, but really it's, it's a different feeling. Absolutely. Disappointment. Or it, sometimes it could even be, you know, immense sadness, but that's just kind of how we mm-hmm. express ourselves. Absolutely. Um, okay. And And I think one other thing Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say about kids with disabilities um, is really that conflict cycle when we're talking about the de-escalation process. I think it's really important to remember that it may take these students longer to de-escalate. And so it's really important as adults that we don't kind of 
push that button one more time as they're kind of coming back down out of that cycle mm-hmm. and they're kind of starting to level out again that we as adults co- don't come back in and say, are you ready yet? Are you ready to talk and start kind of, you know, putting those consequences in place and to really give these kids the time that they need because they do take a little bit longer sometimes because again, it's them processing how they're feeling and it may not happen as quickly as it happens for us mm. or their typical peers. Mm. And how would you, so if we're back in the classroom now and we know that, that little Johnny has, has worked his way through it and you believe that maybe it is time, how would you observe, what things would you see um, that maybe would lead you to believe that they are ready to talk? So, so for me, what would be something that I would look for that, that you could say, well, Brennan, you know what, if you're seeing this, um, that they may not be ready at that point. Right. And I think that I always, you know, you have a relationship with your students. So you, mm-hmm. you also know kind of what you're looking for with different mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, you know, just the softening of the face, the, the hands are no longer clenched. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I used to see that a lot of my kids would start to get sleepy um, mm. after they they had a, a large um mm-hmm you know, incident or episode, or, you know, there was, there was all these feelings, they would start getting tired, actually. Um, but the one thing that I would always do, no matter what, even if I'm observing, mm-hmm. that I think that they're ready is I just ask them. Mm-hmm. And I ask them in such a way that's non threatening. So just, you know, are you ready to talk to me now? Is, is it a good time for us to talk yet? Okay. And if they tell me no, I really do try to respect that. And Sometimes you can tell that they've de-escalated, so I may push a little bit more and say, are you sure? Because I don't want this to start, you know, taking more of your day and you're kind of missing out on things and I don't want you to miss out. So, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you're ready, let's talk. Okay, awesome. I like it. So um, any suggestion and staying with this for a moment um, for the youth that weren't verbal, that are nonverbal, um, right. you know, and, uh, things that you could see and how to potentially kind of work through that. Um, I think that if you're working with students who are nonverbal or um, even some students who are verbal but really have a hard time expressing themselves, Mm -hmm. using Mm -hmm. pictures. Uh And you can do that in a number of ways. You can, um, if a student is capable of doing such an activity, you can go online and Google images is a great thing where you can Google the word angry face and Mm -hmm. you can say to the student, you know, which one of these faces makes you feel angry? Do you think the person looks angry? And you can talk about how anger feels, what kind of things might make them angry and let them select a picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you print that picture out and you can have kind of an emotion board, if you will, Mm -hmm. where you have them pick out which is sadness. And then you can start talking about some of the subtleties, which one looks disappointed. But it's important that the student can relate to that picture and that it makes sense to them. So you can have a whole board where if the student's starting to have some reaction, you could say, how are you feeling? And they can point to that particular picture. Um, awesome. And I think also having a safe space in your room for kids who are nonverbal to say, I see that you're getting upset. Do you need to use our quiet space or, mm. you know, our quiet corner where there's a place for students who can sit down and kind of take a moment to decompress? Um, and that, that's another option. And they can also ask the, for that through pictures or cards, um, whatever system that they might be using if they're nonverbal. 
Awesome. Okay, that's that's awesome. I love this because this is like actionable things. Very, very <laughs> clear. I love it. All right. So now let me move into um, and this is really timely as well. Not um, later for the for the school violence. But just this morning, I had a uh, mother email us and said um, they were asking about our online training and saying, hey, do you think this would be uh, effective for my child? Um, this up if I can. Um, basically saying, you know, uh, we're struggling with our child. They're, they're uh, verbally and physically assaultive at times. We've met with different crisis groups, but do you think this training would be effective? And so I, I of course, explained to them, we don't do physical training over the internet, but the verbal de-escalation could work. But that you know, it's, it's always, you know, I, I never try to sell something, no, no guarantees like, hey, this program is absolutely going to work. But keeping right. that in mind for parents, if she was to listen this morning, what may be and now I don't know whether her child is a student with a disability, but, you know, there's the potential there. But what were some of the things that you would share with parents um, of these students that maybe there are things that they can translate or things that they could do at home or just guidance in general? Right. I think that, you know, again, going back to the whole idea about de-escalation, like really giving kids that time to come down is really important. Mm. And I think as parents, you know, as a parent myself, I think that sometimes we do things to and with our kids that maybe we wouldn't do in a classroom, but because there are kids, we kind of, you know, we get irritated and we get mm-hmm. upset. But I, I think that I also would tell parents to be consistent about how they're dealing with that behavior. Mm. Um, because if you are reacting in a certain way every time then it becomes predictable for the child and so if you are you know kind of being inconsistent and sometimes the behavior is okay and sometimes it's not then the child learns Mm -hmm. that maybe today it's going to be okay and so they start actually ramping it up a little bit because now um, if it worked one time and not the other, well, maybe if I change it or make it worse, then it'll start working again for me. Mm-hmm. And by working for me, I mean the child's getting what they want. I think it's also important that we, both in a school and a home setting, that we allow a child, especially if they're kind of getting in those teenage years, we used to call it saving face, mm-hmm. which basically is having that independence and integrity, but also letting them know that we are still the parent Mm -hmm. so putting some parameters down like you know if you want to be independent if this is how you want to engage with your friends or with the public then here's what I expect to see at home Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not going to treat you like a baby but you need to show me that you're going to be able to follow through with these kinds of actions and if I give you a direction or if I you know give you a redirection because you're not following our our home rules Mm -hmm. then you're going to follow through or you're showing me you can't be responsible so therefore I'm not going to be able to let you go to the school dance or to the Mm -hmm. whatever so Mm -hmm. really kind of tying it back into like the traits that you want them to demonstrate in public those are the kinds if you want that independence you need to show me here at home nice Um, and I think that's a really nice way to start a conversation because then the ownership's not on you as much it's kind Mm -hmm. of like well you know, I'm sorry that you can't participate in the dance, but you weren't able to do this here. So I'm not sure that that's going to work. Right. Excellent. All right. So 
Now let's go move a little bit further into um, the classroom. Well, I mean, we kind of were on that, but you mentioned you touched on PBIS. Can you kind of briefly or well, however long you'd like, but tell us a little bit about (laughs) PBIS. I know that, you know, for me, that's definitely uh, a topic that's come up for a number of years. Um, I am by no means very uh, skilled in it or even really a a great understanding of it. Um, So maybe giving just a brief kind of synopsis of of PBIS in your mind and then um, some tools related there. Sure. So PBIS stands for Positive Behavior Intervention and Supports. Um, It's also been uh, kind of swallowed up in something called multi-tiered school-wide systems, MTSS. So sometimes you'll see MTSS and under that a big umbrella is the positive behavior intervention supports. Mm-hmm. But what positive behavior intervention supports is, is it's a tiered intervention system. And so the idea is that you have three tiers of support for students. You have a tier one, which is basically what you would do for all students. So this is your typical classroom management. You're going to use things like proximity when you're walking around the room, monitoring students. Um, You're going to have consequences that are in place for everyone. You're going to have rules, those types of things. Okay. Um, And then you have, and that's going to be about 80% of your students. And then you go to that middle range. So now you're talking about anywhere between, you know, five to, to 15% of your students Mm -hmm. who may need this additional support. And so in a tier two system, you may have more individualized support. So there's something called check-in, check-out, where a student comes in at the start of their day, they have some goals, they check in with an adult in the building who they have a relationship with. Mm. Um, They talk about what they're going to do for the day, they review the day before, and then they go to class and they get points throughout the day based on their own specific goals. Mm. Sometimes the student checks back in with that adult at lunch, but they definitely check in at the end of the day. So it's an accountability system to give that student more of a one-on-one relationship as well as to target some specific goals. Mm. And so then you get into tier three, um, which now you're talking one to 5% of your students, but those are the students who typically take up the majority of your time. Mm. So once you get into that tier, you're looking at things like functional behavior assessments, behavior intervention plans, where it's highly, highly individualized. Mm. And you're taking data and you're getting a team of people together to really target um, supports for that students. And all of these things are meant to be built upon each other. It's not, if you're in tier two, you don't get any more tier one. Mm. It's, you get tier one and you get tier two and you get tier three. Wow. Um, so schools who have a, a school-wide PBIS system, um, all the teachers utilize the same expectations and the same, they're not rules, they're more procedures and Mm. expectations for how the kids are going to move through the building. So whether it's the lunchroom, it's the hallway, it's art, it's your classroom, there are the same expectations. Um, And it's highly, highly reinforced. And it's supposed to be a positive system um, Mm. that's built on being preventative. Mm. Okay, let's, let's stay there for a second. So positive versus, uh, you know, the the consequence or the more negative reinforcement. Let's go talk about that for a second. So within this system and with a a lot of systems that, you know, when we talk about classroom management, if we can do things that are preventative in nature front, spend as much time on the back end with Mm. sometimes we know don't connect for students, especially if they're delayed and they're not meaningful. Mm. Um, So with positive supports and reinforcements, um, Students are taught up front the behavior. And again, you know, we get into a lot of discussions 
um, philosophically about, is it the school's job to teach behavior? Well, I'm here to tell you that sometimes if a school doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Mm. So, you know, teaching mm. kids what you expect them to do, telling them what you want to do up front. And then when they engage in the behavior, you reinforce them. And one of the ways PBIS does it is sometimes there's tokens or like a school may have um, like the school's name's Bradley. It could be Bradley Bucks mm. um, or maybe there's coins. But if someone, anyone, a staff, a custodial staff, someone who's working in the lunchroom sees a child engaging in a behavior that they know is part of the school expectations, they give that child that Bradley buck mm. or that coin. Um, and then those bucks or coins can be traded in for sometimes prizes, sometimes lunch with the principal, sometimes things that are tangible, sometimes non-tangible. Sometimes they can buy their whole class five extra minutes of recess. Wow. Um, so it's really just a way to, them. And it, it's built also on that idea of kind of that catch and being good. Mm. Um, so when you see them doing the right thing and, you know, the idea is that as a teacher, if you do things up front, you're controlling your time versus having students control your time because then you're constantly responding to their misbehaviors. Um, and then they're taking your time. Absolutely. Man, I love that. And the mention of the custodial staff, um, you know, it's funny because for years with CCG, we've always taught and uh, told organizations, you know, hey, we really think this training should not be something that's only uh, given to the frontline staff, but, but everyone. And, and exactly. The, and I love that idea. And what's interesting is, and this is kind of where I'm always trying to say, how can we get better? So CCG, we focus. We are very reactive, I think, with overall de-escalation training because most right. of the time it's, well, de-escalation has started where we, we've tried to focus a lot on training staff to you know, have good self-awareness and emotional intelligence and understand what their buttons are. But I love the idea of bringing them in, um, and, and that's something we're going to have to look into more of how we can – even in those extremities, the staff that are out, I, I would say in the extremities, the janitorial staff or the custodial staff, which are trained in right. the physical portion of our program, but yet bringing them in through PBIS and having them do things like that with the, the positive tokens. That's awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Yes. So let me move just to keep the uh, time down. I'm super excited uh, and, and the information, but I want to really address um, what you're doing with the safety uh, group that you mentioned here um, and the violence prevention, because I think that's that's obviously huge with uh, with the shootings. And, you know, recently I just put out an article the other day or I forwarded one that I had seen, which talked about and, and somebody mentioned that uh, I heard this, that, you know, broken boys are who are committing a lot of these active shooter, you know, and broken men in, in workplaces, uh, historically right. in adult workplaces and in schools, it's usually male youth and teens, um, late teenagers. And so the concept of saying, you know, what, what are we doing to not only address, um, those issues early on, but, but, um, you know, very interested in what you're doing, uh, with your group there. So please give us some info that we can take. So our, our team here is made up of, um, a range of people from across our campus. There are two faculty members. So I'm only one of two who are actually on that team. Um, we have folks from Residence Life. We have folks from our Counseling Center. Um, and it is led by um, 
one of our members here on campus that I can't remember her official title. So my goodness, I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a group where we kind of, we look at our structures and we're constantly reviewing actually what is happening in other campuses. Like when everything happened at UVA mm. at the beginning of this year with the protest, we had to have a hard look at what are our policies for having outsiders come to campus mm. and protest? Mm -hmm. What do we, what do we have in place if someone wants to come here and do those things? And so in our, in our campus police is also part of that group. Um, so we've had to review those policies. We've had numerous discussions about, um, you know, how our, our facilities are locked, what times mm. they're mm -hmm. locked, how we, are going to arrange permissions for professors who want to have access to a building after hours. Um, we do shelter in place and we mm -hmm. have an app that we use here on campus. That's mm -hmm. an alert mm -hmm. app. So you can, it goes two ways. Um, it can alert you that there's a problem on campus and you can also push the emergency button to let the campus police know that you have a problem mm -hmm. um, and it can locate you. So we have those and there are all of our computers as well in the classrooms. Um, we, there's a second level to this violence prevention team, and that's a threat assessment team. Mm -hmm. And um, I am no longer part of that team, but we do, that team really looks at the individual reports that we start receiving. Mm -hmm. So if we get an, a, a report, we have a great system called Maxium where um, anybody on campus can set up a report and it, it goes to one of our, our deans here on campus and he will start digging in immediately. Um, mm. And then he will call that team to meet any hour, any time of the day to review the information, make an assessment, mm. and then make a recommendation. Um, sometimes that involves, it goes all the way up to the president of the university. We had something happen here over the course of the weekend where some flyers were put out um, here on campus that were kind of alarming. So mm -hmm. that has been part of our discussion the past couple of days. So. Um, we were we did a little bit of training through the Department of Criminal Justice mm -hmm. about a year and a half ago. And um, so there are certain members of our team who do beyond that initial training. They go to that second tier training. Um, I am not one of those people, but mm -hmm. I have done that initial campus threat assessment team training. Awesome. And do you, do, is the Maxim, is that something that you that is internal created or is an, an external product? You know, that's a great Great question. I do okay. believe it's an external product, cool. um, but okay. we have it we'll set up that. so that there's certain ways that we can um, set the features up, but mm -hmm. maybe it's mm -hmm. a reporting system. Sure. And um, some of it is just clicking boxes, like what you're concerned. It's the system is also used for things as simple as we haven't seen a student. No one's seen a student for two weeks. We want to well check. Mm. Um, mm. So there's a range and you can rate the severity of your report. Um, and of course, everyone on the campus knows that if there's, you know, obviously an immediate emergency, sure. calling the campus police is, you know, our first line. Sure, sure. Awesome. This is awesome. I really, really, um, you know, that's I, often I get calls from clients and they're asking the questions like, what are the programs? What are other organizations doing? And, you know, the whole concept, they're just learning from each other and, and that is it. finding out what everyone else is doing and trying yeah. to be ahead of it. And, and as much as possible. Right. And a lot um, of times you don't really know what you don't know until unfortunately something happens because right. you never expect, you know, a group of people to congregate on a campus university that aren't part of that mm. campus university. And then, you know, it's, you just never really know. So um, right. yeah, we all learn from one another. That's for sure.
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to, first off, thank you so much for being willing to come on and take your time to do this. Uh, I got a lot of great notes myself, if everybody here heard me typing in the background, but I know that people are really going to enjoy this. And so is, lastly, before we close out, is there anything that you um, want to either, uh, this is the opportunity to either promote or put the word out about something you are passionate about, a cause you believe in, or a product, or anything in particular that you think would be um, helpful to the listeners? You know, I don't really have anything. I've got nothing okay. to promote over here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, all right. Well, that's just your good works and good karma. Awesome. That's all right. Well, thank you so much. And um, definitely everybody that's listening, please uh, pass this this uh, podcast on. And if you have any questions about this, I'm sure Jen would be available. So you can yes. shoot it to us here at uh, training at crisisconsultantgroup.com. Or if you've got a particular uh, question for Jen in, in, in uh, specific, are you willing to provide an email address? Sure, I can do okay. that. Cool. Um, my email address is jwalker. So J-W-A-L-K-E-R, the number four, at umw.edu so jwalker4 at umw.edu <laughs> awesome <laughs> perfect well that that's fantastic and definitely i appreciate it um and i i hope that people uh send you some questions because i know there's a lot of folks that we work with that you know, uh, this is right up their alley in regards to the type of, uh, of clients that they serve, uh, um, a lot of educational facilities that we work with. And so 